0: After Toba, the next step in Tazawa and Tazkiyah is known as Ubudiyah, and this is not sequential. I mean, I don't, I don't want to misrepresent this to you, because nothing really ends. Toba is a life; we have to live a life of Toba, not a moment of Toba. That's why someone used the word Tawab. Tawabeen is plural of Tawab. Tawab means. This mm-hmm. is it's a person whose inseparable attribute is Tawbah. It means that never now can they commit a sin without doing Tawbah. doesn't mean they can never commit a sin. They may still commit a sin. But never ever could any sin take place except that Tawbah immediately follows it. Tawbah has become an inseparable attribute of their nature. Allah Akbar. That is the person Allah loves. Allahu اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْتَوَّابِينَ That is the person who gets the love of Allah. It is never remorseless. So I told you the complete spiritual cancer is 100% remorseless in sin. And this is the beloved of Allah, the person who is 100% remorseful, 100% penitent, 100% pure and true on their tawbah when they commit a sin. After that then comes Ubudiyah. Ubudiyah, or what in Persian or Urdu you call abdiyat, means servanthood and slavehood to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That to increase our self-identity and our awareness as a servant and slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you know, this is, again is an identity that is meant to be 24 hours. And you know, the way really they talk in the language of the Sufi, and a lot of times, and I'll tell you, sometimes when you read some of these later books, and we'll be discussing some of that with you tomorrow, and I'm going to read passages out of some of these texts to you. I've got a whole bunch of classical texts to read out to you from Sheikh Amda Jalani, from Imam Al Ghazali, from Ibn Taymiyyah, from Ibn Qayyim, from Sheikh Ahmed Sir Hindi, Rahmatullah Ajmain. And I'm going to read out to you passages so you can see live for yourself. Nothing better than to let the tradition speak for itself. Nothing better than to judge the from the writings and teachings of the masters of the sova. That's the only honest way to go about it. And you will see that in later centuries, they, they're, when they're trying to explain this to people, like any other science, it becomes more technical. You read second century hadith books, not so technical. You pick up a sixth, seventh century hadith book, a law Akbar. Lots of technical terminology. And the reason this happens in every field is that terminology is employed to capture a concept, to encapsulate a concept. So now that if your person is trained in hadith sciences, all I have to do is say the word Hassan, and he knows exactly what that means. It's not meant to be translated with one or in English. You, I say Hassan, you say yes, a fair hadith. It doesn't mean fair. The word Hasan, you need about 10-15 pages to explain that in English. It's a term, an istilah. The purpose of the istilah is just to be a marker for the people who are trained in that discipline. Like, you know, doctors, you know, when they, when they diagnose me, they write one word on their file. I don't know what that word means, it's a Latin word, I can't ask them for the English translation of that. It's just to, that's a little marker for me. I, just, I was trained for 8 years or 4 years in med school to understand what that one word means. He writes lupus, he writes, I don't know what he writes, right? It means a lot to him. To me, it means nothing. I can pat myself on the back and take a little one month, you know, what is it? They have these series of books in America, you know, this for dummies and this for idiots. So I can read Cardiology for Dummies and pick up a cardiology term and say, hey, I know what it means. And he says, he laughs at me, says exactly, yeah, you're even confessing, you're a dummy, Right? You're a dummy when it comes to cardiology if all you can do is give me one English word for that Latin term. So the best you can come up with, Hassan, is just a fair hadith. You're a dummy in hadith, right? (laughs) No, I'm just teasing you. I'm just playing with you. Right? So these mashayikh here, they use very complicated terms later. So I'm going to give you an example of those two terms. And tomorrow I'm going to say everything. Everything you've ever heard of, we're going to tell you tomorrow. Fana, baka, kashf, ilham, everything is coming tomorrow. Bayt, shaykh, naqshbandi, chishti, wahdat al-wujud, it's all coming tomorrow. Ibn Arabi, al-halaj, an-al-haq, everything is coming tomorrow. Thikki? What you will find is there are these two words that they use sometimes. I'll do it for you in English. State and station means hal and maqam. Hal is state and maqam is station. Now, you know, when we try to read this stuff, even in Persian or Urdu or English, it's just like, you know, all these terms and I don't get all this and why can't we just read Quran and Deeds and I'll get along. What's going on? Actually, they're trying to explain something very deep to you. Very deep. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to simplify it for you. Because the same thing would happen to me when I would read these things and I was trained in this way. But once you understand it, you honestly will feel that you know these two words are the best way anybody could have ever used to explain this. One thing is to have a hal and something is to have a maqam. What they're doing is they're talking about the sifat of the mu'mineen. They're talking about the sifat of mu'minana in the Quran. And they're talking about to the extent that such a thing is present in a human being. For example, sub. One is halat sabr, and the other is maqam sabr. See, halat sabr means that you may have a state of sabr. So something happens and you bear with it with fortitude and patience and endurance. That is a hal. But it's not your maqam yet because sometimes maybe the very same thing will happen to you. Some other you get upset. I'll give you a simple example that happens often in Pakistan. You're driving. Some young kid cuts you off. Some days you just look at that and you shrug. Some days you even smile. Some days your face turns red. Some days you chase after him. (laughs) Right? So that day that you stopped or you smiled or you shrugged, that was a hal at the sabr. Why are we calling it hal? Because it's still inside you, the ability not to do sabr is still there. And it still manifests itself on some occasions. And that is how we start. So the beginning, what they mention in the soul, when they talk about these attributes, I'm going to the second practice. Remember I told you about the, uh, that the second aspect of the theory was to adorn yourself with the good attributes, right? So the way they'll describe it is first you have to make yourself such that at least you can have halat of these good attributes. That you should try to increase the frequency of these halat. That there should be more and more moments of sabr. And then there'll be all types of te- techniques and tips that they tell you how to do that. Think of the azmat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Think that if you're so quick to judge or to get upset, what if Allah ta'ala was quick to get angry with you? What if when every time you sin, remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala al remembers his helm on your sins and have him with other shortcomings. I just told you that's a teaching. There's no hadith that says that. The Prophet وسلم never said this sentence that remember Allah's helm with your sins and have him with others feelings. But it's it's not a word for word rendition of his words, but the Prophet isn't confining us to that. The Prophet wants us to embody the reality of Islam. And depending on different places and different times and different illnesses, we have to encapsulate that teaching of Quran and Sunnah sometimes using new words. So they'll tell you a lot about how to increase your halat of sabr. And then they'll use this word until you reach maqam is sabr. Now what is maqam is sabr? Maqam again means that you're amongst the sabirin. Inna Allah ma'as sabirin. And even the fazilat of the maqam is used to bring you to the hal. Ne, samjain. That you will hear this ayat. And, it's, you're, and this ayat will be recited in front of you to induce you, to entice you to have sabr. Because the promise of the ma'iyat of Allah is with the person who does sabr. Now, do you, if you want that ma'iyat perpetually, you have to be on sabr perpetually. And if you want that ma'iyat occasionally, then you can have sabr occasionally. So when the person reaches the Maqam of sabr, then it means that they have reached sabr in such a way that it is inseparable from them. They always have sabr. That's what Allah Taala wants. We have actually sold ourselves short. We don't realize what an intense project the Quranic human being is. That the Quranic Karim has been revealed to create a human being who has maqam is sabr, maqam is shukr, maqam is Zuhur, maqam is tawakkul, maqam is muhabbat, maqam is tawbah, maqam is khauf, maqam is raja, maqam is zikr. All of that. Maqam. And meaning we barely have a few halat of a couple of these things. It's a really long journey to go. It's a very long journey to go. So sometimes they use these terms. Now, you think about this, and you realize it's exactly true for us. Yeah, you know, there's some moments when I have sabr and some moments when I don't. And what I really want, what I would love to be, a person who always had summer. All of this, they just put it in two terms, hal and maqam. It's that simple. Yes, fine, the Prophet didn't use these two terms to describe this phenomenon. It doesn't matter. The phenomenon exists. You don't have to use those terms. Otherwise, the first person you should accuse is the Mufassirun. What in the world are they writing in those tafsirs? Pick up Tafsir of Kabir of ar it's 20 volumes. Pick up the Tafsir of Qurtabi, it's 15 volumes. Alusi is 12 volumes. They're explaining the Qur'an in words that the Prophet didn't use. (laughs) He didn't use those words. All the Mufassirun are the most guilty of this, if this if this is a sin. But nobody talks like that, nobody thinks like that. Why? Because the ulama are the waratha of the anbiya. The Prophet did ta'lim al-kitab, he explained the kitab. The ulama are going to do the same ta'lim of the kitab, they're also going to have to explain the kitab. Every century, every Islamic century has had new tafsirs. And nobody has critiqued that. Because they know that the Qur'an is a living book. It has to speak in a living way to a living and undying community. And therefore, Tafsir is a living discipline. It's a continuous discipline. You have to explain things in new ways to combat new social evils, new sins, new fitnas, new philosophies, new ideologies. But that's the same thing that people at of So they talk about hal and maqam. So this concept of hal and maqam is now going to be used in ubudiyya. That obviously a person halan is always an abd. I mean always has halat of being an abd because when they're doing the faraz and wajibat, that is their ibadat. I'm not talking about the quality of yet because that zikr, that's coming later on. That's coming after asr and tomorrow, how to increase our zikr in salah. I'm just talking about the status and state of being, and state and station of being an abd of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Qur'an, وَمَا إِلَّا لَيَعْبُدُونَ That I do not create jinn or humanity except for my ibadat. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't mean for ibadat. That 24, and all of you know that. That the deen of Islam does not say that. That 24 hours 7 a person must be doing ibadah. It means that a person should always view themselves as an abd. مَقَامُ ubudiyat. Their self-identity, self-realization as a servant and slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the dominant feature in them. We don't have that. We don't have that. We barely feel like slaves in sajda. Allah Akbar, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has in His mercy and His grace and His infinite hidayah, He's guided us to a physical posture of worship, which is the absolute embodiment of slavehood and submission. And even then we don't feel like His ibad. Even then, people say, "I mindlessly say Subhanahu wa I said it three times, but I don't even, you know, I said it like this. I don't even feel anything when I say it, Allah. Akbar. <laughs> right? <clears throat> and compare that to these people, who were the ibad, ibadik salihin This is the dua that we make: Allahumma Allah says, Allahu min ibadik as-salihin. Allah subhanahu make us amongst your salih ibad, those human beings on whom ubudiyat is ghalib on them, who have reached maqam ubudiyyat. So the second aspect is that to make a person continually and consciously view themselves as the servant and slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And a lot of this has to do with adab. Adab. In this we thing, we talk a lot about adab of ghairullah. Adab towards your parents, adab towards your teachers, adab towards your elders. This, the soul of teachers a person adab towards Allah. Have adab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't think like that, right? Ethics, however you can't really translate adab by there. Propriety, right? Proper decorum. Have proper decorum. What is that? That is the abd, the rub relationship. That is our other with Allah. That's it. Our other with Allah is that we act and carry ourselves like his ibad. And we live our life as if he is our rab. You know, once a person asked a shaykh, a shaykh was sitting with the students and he asked him, what is tawhid? And one of them said, tawhid is to believe in the oneness of Allah. One of them gave all these ilmi definitions of tawhid that you will find in the fancy books of Aqidah. They started rolling off one more and more impressive answers, one after the other. And the Sheikh said, none of you have understood what tawhid is. And then eventually, like good students, they said, Sheikh, you tell us what tawhid is. So Sheikh said that tawhid means to live your life as if one Allah is over you. That's tawhid It's a life that is lived such that the life professes Every moment of that life witnesses to the fact that there is one Allah who is over that living being. That is Tawhid. And if you look, and this is really the deep understanding of Sunnah. You know, several months back in the Hadith workshop, I gave you this example. When I was trying to explain to you why the Sahaba Karam were not obsessed with textually writing down the Hadith. An example I gave you was the hadith that was in ka فِي الدُّنْيَا ghrib wa That live in this world as if you're a stranger or a traveler on the path. What's the purpose of that hadith? That somebody writes it down? That somebody textualizes it? That somebody memorizes it? No, the point is to bring that life. That's now the sunnah has given us this objective. Live that life that is according to this you remember I gave you this example that imagine if Abu Hurairah writes this down and comes back to the Prophet, rather than comes back to the and says, "Yes, so I got it. Look here, I wrote it down. dunya ka annaka bas. I got it. So the Prophet will take that piece of paper, crumple it up and throw it away and say, "Ya Abu Hurairah, bring me that life that is lived according to this teaching. I don't want that one liner back. That's not why I said the one line. And that is what the Masha'ik, the Sof, and the are doing. They're trying to bring people to that life that is being called to by the Qur'an, that maqam of sabr. The da'wah to sabr is in the Qur'an. Now you can only use the lines that the Prophet ﷺ said to invite to that? No way. Just like you don't only use those lines when you do tafsir, write tafsir, read tafsir.